Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Hello, Mid-America. Welcome to it. It is 8.06 in the heart of the country. My name is Mike Elam, sitting in tonight at At Your Service, and we are planning a very fun evening. I'm all excited, because Matt is here running the controls, and hopefully he is going to keep me on pace tonight. This is exciting for me. It may not be exciting for you, but it's good for me, because I started in radio when I was 15 years old, pretty much the same age that Matt is right now, as he laughs at me. Uh, but my first job in radio was working in Berryville, Arkansas, at KTHS, and I was board hopping Cardinal baseball games that, of course, emanated from this very radio station at KMOX. And here we sit... All those years later, and we finally get to host a radio show on KMOX. So I'm excited to be here. I hope you are, too. We've got an exciting couple hours for you at At Your Service tonight. We're going to talk with John Weeman later on. He is the former uh, House Pro Temp of the Missouri House of Representatives. We're going to talk with Michael Gorin a little bit later on. Uh, Next hour, we're going to talk to Paul Cronin, who's the CEO of I3 Broadband, about the broadband expansion that's going on across the United States And we're also going to talk to Scott Drocknick from the Economic Development Center out in St. Charles County. We'll discuss this workforce issue. Have you heard that people have trouble finding people to work these days? You may have missed that, but it seems to be a thing. So we'll talk to Scott about that. One of the big things, though, that's been talked about lately is the Supreme Court has been very quiet on decisions. I don't think we've heard from the Supreme Court going back until almost October from the last decision that they got. But there are some huge landmark decisions. They are saying this could be the biggest blockbuster year of decisions the Supreme Court has issued in quite some time. So me with a communications degree, not the person to really cut this apart and tell you what's the skinny that you should know about that. So when you need to that, you go to the Cato Institute and I'm going to talk to scholar Anastasia Bowden, who is here with us. Anastasia, how are you this evening? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Hey, welcome to KMOX. I am so excited that you are here to help make sense of this, because it seems like the Supreme Court has the biggest full plate that I've seen in quite some time. Yes, certainly. It's a very highly anticipated term, and yet we haven't heard anything from them yet. So court watchers are on the lookout for any opinions, which should start coming out any time now. This is about the time that opinions come out. We're a little late in the schedule. But perhaps no case is more highly anticipated than the Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard case or Students for Fair Admission versus UNC, both dealing with racial preferences in higher education. As you said, this is going to be a blockbuster term dealing with the scope of the 14th Amendment. And I think that case is truly why people are are eager for the court to get writing. There seems to be, a, this is a little different than it, some of these two affirmative action cases are completely different with what they're really claiming, aren't they? 
They are slightly different in the sense that one is dealing with a public university and one is dealing with a private university. Um, but even though one has to deal with the civil rights law and one deals with the Constitution, that civil rights law has been interpreted to be coextensive with the Constitution. So ultimately, we will get a decision on what the Constitution requires when it comes to affirmative action, because racial preferences is one of the only uh, ways in which the government has been allowed to engage in race-based action in all other parts of our lives. The Supreme Court has said that the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause requires the government to treat us equally on the basis of race. And yet there's this small carve-out that's been created uh, in terms of higher education, which is now really uh, ramped up into outright racial balancing. It was supposed to just be a, a small measure meant to offer universities the benefits that ostensibly come from having a diverse student body. And yet we're seeing in both Harvard and the UNC case that these colleges are now engaging in racial balancing at the expense of Asian students. And so the question is whether the court needs to revisit that carve out and, and return to the uh, view that, that equal, equality before the law means equal treatment in all spaces. The Harvard case is one that I thought was interesting because affirmative action is is mainly talking about special privileges for minorities, but you have Asians who are actually bringing this case normally thought of as a minority class, and they're saying, get rid of this, because they are being discriminated against as saying that, that they're not being left into Harvard. They're being tried to a different standard. So I, I thought that was interesting, that it's going to come down that way. Now, normally, we see the liberal judges stick together with the way that they vote. But with the conservative judges, it's kind of all over the board. Where is the money coming down on where do we think the conservative judges are going to go? Do you think they're going to stick together on most of these decisions? Or do you say, do you think it's going to be across the board? You know, I always like to point out that we do in every term see uh, strange bedfellows at the court where you see um, unlikely duos of conservative, so-called conservative and liberal justices lining up. Um, But yes, in recent years, we have seen wild cards, including Chief Justice Roberts, who has sort of, I think, considered himself now uh, the swing vote, you know, the the centrist on the court trying to preserve the reputation of the court amongst very hotbed issues. And you never really know where he's going to go, Obamacare being a great example. Right. Um, but he has been very, very solid when it comes to equality before the law. He famously said that the best way to get rid of discrimination on the basis of race is to get rid of discrimination on the basis of race, that things like racial preferences um, are really pernicious and not good remedies, even for prior uh, instances of discrimination, uh, because they become so lax now. There's such a poor, poor fit between racial remedies um, and the supposed discrimination that they that they're trying to to remedy. But in any event, I think that this is a case where we will see your traditional block that you would expect, and that we won't have many uh, many justices stray from from what court watchers would anticipate. So we have affirmative action coming down. What are your top ones that you're that you're looking for after that? What are the big ones in your mind? Well, one of the big ones, and this isn't just because I'm out here in California, uh, but it's the National Pork Producers case involving a California law that regulates the way that pork has to be, that essentially sows have to be raised in order for the pork to be sold in California. California consumes something like 90% of all pork in the country, and yet it produces very little. 
So when the state instituted these regulations requiring sows to be brought up in purportedly humane conditions, the effect of that law was to regulate the practices in every other state because that's where the the pork is coming from. It's not coming from California. It's coming from everywhere else. And so these pork producers sued, arguing that this regulation uh, has extraterritorial effects that violate the Dormant Commerce Clause um, or they otherwise unduly burden commerce in violation of the Dormant Commerce Clause. And so the concern here is that if states start engaging in what California did, that really they're imposing their political preferences on other states. And we're going to get economic balkanization. We're going to get trade wars based on policy disputes so that, you know, one state is going to say, well, we only want products in our state that are produced by uh, labor union work. Or you might get another state saying, well, we only want um, to support products if they're uh, if they have mandatory vaccination laws, these types of things. And really, that's not the, the, the spirit of of America. America was supposed to allow states to impose their own policy preferences so that You know, we could choose among states where we want to live and the best ideas would win out. And, of course, one of the central concepts of the Constitutional Convention was to stop the trade wars between states that were destroying our national economy and to preserve free trade among the states subject to only regulation um, that was big enough and important enough to be regulated by commerce. So when it comes to interstate commerce, I think California needs to get out and uh, we'll see if that happens. And that's a big case for lovers of not just pork, but federalism, too. Hey, pork, the other white meat. I'm all about it. Well, I, I will tell you, you got me on that one in a couple of ways. One, I didn't have that one on my radar. Two, I did not know that California consumes 90% of the pork in this country. So you got me on that. Um, but we've got a lot of big cases that are still out there. The student loan payment, the student loan debt uh the authority to be able to forgive that is one. You've got Title 42 that's pending out there. You've got the voting rights. This interesting case about the ability to be able to adopt Native American children sounds like something that, that could really be big, especially for the, the Native American tribes. Uh, just huge cases that are that are pending out there. When do you expect that we're going to start seeing the first decisions come down? I'd be really surprised if we didn't see at least a couple by the end of the month. But, of course, the court does like to wait until the very end of the term um, to release the biggest decisions. And, of course, cases like the student loan case, which I think is just fascinating, not just because of uh, the issues having to do with the president's authority here, but also with who can sue. You know, you see the government, it loves to regulate you. It loves to, to pass laws that affect you. And then when you challenge them in court, it says you have no, you can't challenge them. You have to get out of court. You have no standing. So that's a really important aspect of that case. But in any event, that's still yet to be argued. So I think the most exciting cases probably aren't going to come out until the end of the term. So we have a few months to wait yet. But it it is going to be exciting, and I'm looking forward to it. That is Cato Institute scholar Anastasia Bowden. Anastasia, thanks for taking some time with us tonight on KMOX. Thanks for having me. You got it. Thanks again. So coming up next, we are going to talk with the former House Speaker Pro Tem, John Weeman. The Missouri House and the Missouri Senate are back in session, which means you should probably watch out because they're going to start passing laws. Thanks for listening to KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It is at your service on News Talk 1120 KMOX. My name is Mike Elam. I am filling in tonight. Matt is still running the controls over there, playing some up-tempo music. Look at you. 20 after the hour is we still going. And uh, just in case you were wondering about the Blues game, don't, because it's it's not worth it. It's going to be another bad night. That's, that's just how it is. It's like last night when uh, John was on, and he was talking about all those people who were interested in the national championship game. Which was a nice, what was it, Matt? 65 to 7, something like something that? Something like that. Oh, it was a wonderful game if you're a Georgia Bulldog fan. If, if you're a TCI or Big 8 guy, it, it kind of sucks for you. Not, not so much a good evening, but you know, it is what it is. Hey, just in case you missed it, the General Assembly is back in session. They got everybody sworn in. All the new folks are there, and they are ready to take on the world. So I decided to talk to a guy who's been there and set the agenda and help talk about how were they going to make the world better. He is a former Speaker Pro Temp of the Missouri House. He is currently the Vice President of Workforce and Strategic Initiatives at St. Charles Community College. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Weeman. John, how are you? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for uh, inviting me to be on the show tonight. You know, it's been a minute since we've had a chance to talk on the air. So this is this is very good to be able to get together. How are you enjoying not having to go to Jeff City and and deal with all of the craziness that it is? Well, I'll tell you what. On one hand, I do miss it. But on the other hand, uh, I am extremely happy. I'm, I'm moved on to, uh, I think, bigger and better things to do in, in uh, my community. And my wife is certainly happy I'm home. Um, every night. I'm sure she's probably going, hang on, aren't you supposed to be gone? It's January. I mean, you've, you've been gone for the last eight years at this time. Why are you always here? I'm, I'm sure she would like to have some alone time right about now. Yeah, well, we'll see. You know, it's still early <laughs> in the honeymoon right now. That's <laughs> right. She's, she's still enjoying that. Well, congratulations on your new job at St. Charles Community College. I'm very excited that you're there. The community college role in our community these days, which sounds redundant to say it that way, but it's really taken on a, a cross of not just a, a college-type role, but also the Votech-type role has really uh, been ingrained in the education that they're doing there. And you're seeing all kinds of new things happen at Votech. St. Charles Community College just got uh, some great awards for some things that they're doing in the agricultural space, opening a new campus soon or breaking ground on a new campus on the western side of the county. So your hands are going to be full with, with everything that's going on there. So congratulations on that job. Thank you. You know, it, it, you're right. It's very exciting what what's happening in St. Charles County with, with the community college. Uh, we are definitely uh, moving beyond just, you know, your traditional, you know, junior college where you go there for two years and then transfer on to a, 
you know, university or college. Um, at St. Charles Community College, I mean, we're really looking at really expanding uh, heavily into workforce development and uh, just workforce, workforce training. As you mentioned, we're building this huge, uh, fantastic, brand-new regional uh, workforce and innovation center out uh, in the uh, western part of St. Charles County in Wentzville, and uh, we're excited about that. That We're going to break ground on that in uh, uh, 2023 and uh, – this year. It's hard to believe it. we've been planning for this last year, but in June of this year, we're going to probably start uh, looking to break ground. And so exciting things coming ahead. Oh, I, I look forward to hearing more about that. And Dr. Cavalier has done a fantastic job since she has come in there. But you are good friends with the new Speaker of the House. You know each other very well. We do. You know, uh, he uh, when he first got elected, uh, he came in on a special election and um, he, he got the the honor of sharing an office space with me and another representative, uh, Alan Andrews. And so we became fast friends and all throughout my time there for, for basically he was there for seven of the eight years that I was there. And, and uh, so we obviously developed a pretty good relationship and, and I think very highly of, of so, uh, representative Plocker. So uh, speaker Plocker now has, uh, is from the De Pere, Missouri area and he laid out, some of the the big things that he wanted to do as he goes into this new year. Uh, and Caleb Browner, who is the new president of the Senate, laid out similar items when they gave their big speeches to both of their uh, houses in the Senate and in the House. They both agreed on a couple of things, though. Crime is one thing that they're going to have to tackle. And then they talked about education, a little different views on education, but both of them talked about those issues. Now, what do you think the odds are that we are going to see meaningful legislation changes uh, come through the House and the Senate this year? I think it's a pretty good chance. I mean, last year we did, we did you know, despite some of the, the issues with uh, arguments over the maps, we did get a lot of uh, good legislation passed, and we actually had a special session to, to do some additional tax cuts. So, you know, certainly there were some things that didn't get done that should have been done. But, you know, I will agree with you. There there are several things that both the Senate and the House are on the same page, and that was always my argument was that we need to get together and, and kind of strategize and, and focus on a couple of pieces of legislation that we both chambers work on to try to get passed. This year, I know IP reform is another one you didn't mention, but that's one that's going to be a pretty high priority. Uh, I know for the speaker, he's very interested in getting that done, and I know that um, – Senator Rowden also mentioned it as well. Uh, but, yeah, education reform, I I always say it's kind of like a Groundhog Day, um, you know, piece of legislation, because every year we're always working on education reform. It's, it's it, you, I can guarantee you we've been doing this for many, many years, and, and it needs to be done. And, and certainly one of the things that was mentioned uh, by both the Speaker and, and uh, President Pro Tem of the Senate was increasing the teacher pay. That's that's a that's a big one. I I, I will see that hap- probably happen through our budget process. The teacher and pay issue course, is really going to be a big one because I didn't realize. I mean, you I don't pay attention to how much teachers are paid. I know that's something that that we should all probably know, but I didn't realize how low a starting teacher pay in the state of Missouri is, and you could make. Pretty much what you make as a teacher with a four-year degree, not a master's, 
working at McDonald's, literally working at McDonald's. And that's something that we should be embarrassed as a state. Yeah. You know, that is somewhat misleading when they say the average, you know, starting pay is like $25,000. You know, that's not the average starting pay for here in in, uh, St. Charles County uh, for a a new teacher. It's not the starting salary for a a new teacher in St. Louis County, maybe in St. Louis City, but not St. Louis County. So I think it's a lot of it is contingent upon, you know, what part of, of the state that you live in. You know, certainly most of the, the schools receive a, a, a high percentage of their of their revenue comes from local taxes. So a lot of that's contingent upon the local communities and how well they support their local schools. But regardless of the fact, we you know on, on average our teachers are being paid less than what they could be making out in the private sector, which has always been the case. But when you have a, a greater disparity between what they could be making and what they can be making working for a different school in a different state or working in private sector, that starts to have an impact on being able to retain good quality teachers. And, you know, it pays not everything, but it's certainly in this situation, it's getting bad enough. I think we need to, we need to address it. Well, I think the workforce issue that you talked about is something that is obviously it's in the title of your job. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's probably pretty important to you. But that's an issue that everybody is struggling with right now and trying to figure out ways that we can bring more people into the workforce. Next hour, we're going to talk with Scott Drocknick, uh, CEO of the Economic Development Center in St. Charles County. Uh, who used Mm -hmm. to be the head of workforce development in St. Charles County, just to talk a little bit about these workforce issues. That seems to be another issue that the legislature is going to try and take up a little bit this year. Yeah, you know, I've had this conversation with the Chamber of Commerce and other folks when I was in the legislature. You know, what can we do to improve the, uh, you know, the workforce? And I really think it's, it's a it's more than just one thing that you, you can point out to as being the problem. It's, it's a multitude of things. Um, you know, the work, work ethic, I think, has really changed, and it, it got worse with, with COVID. And, and you know, certainly the, the different government programs that we have in place that, that don't necessarily encourage people to go out and work because if you're getting enough, uh, you know, free money from the government, you know, you're less likely to want to go get a job if you don't have to worry about, you know, how you're going to pay for your next meal. But bottom line is, is we have to, you know, we have to continue to focus on trying to uh, provide opportunities for for individuals to get training or get retrained. You know, our, our society's changing. You know, technology's changing, and that's one of the things that we're doing in St. Charles County is is that we're looking at not only the the current technologies and the current trades, but we're looking at the future trades. What what are what are the technologies and things that we're going to have to train? the future workers to do. Um, that's, that's something that that's also a big thing, but, but the current problems that we're having right now, you know, it just comes down to, you know, there's just the, the mentality of people has just changed to, you know, they just don't feel the sense of urgency to go get a job. The one thing that I'm encouraged about with this year's session, last year was probably the most contentious session it, it for sure in the Senate that I have ever seen in the Missouri legislature. But it seems like this year, with the Speaker and the President of the Senate, they seem to be um, on more of the same page. And the Senate seems to have, in the words of Bob Seeger, turned the page and have moved on to a little more, uh, 
I, I don't know what the word would be. We're, we're working together better uh, in the Senate this year. At least it looks that way going in. Is, is that kind of your view right now? Absolutely. I can tell you, uh, you know, leadership in any organization, whether it's in government or in private sector, if you've got good leadership or, or great leadership, you know, it, it seem, things seem to work better. Things seem to get done. And when, when, when you don't have good leadership, um, then problems seem to, to, to just magically start occurring all over the place. And I think that's what we've suffered from over the last couple of years is if we just haven't had really strong leadership. Sometimes it's maybe just in, over in the House or sometimes it's over in the Senate or, or combination thereof. But, you know, the Senate's kind of a unique, unique uh, entity that you have basically 34, you know, independent, you know, senators that, you know, I call them, sometimes I call them terrorists, but uh, <laughs> they, they kind of, they kind of do their own thing and they, you know, they dance with their own tune and it's hard to, it's hard to manage 34 independent, you know, individuals over in the house. It's more of kind of a herd mentality where, you know, the, the a group of people, you know, you have to really kind of build coalitions and, and it's just, it's easier to get, that's why the house passes a lot more legislation to get more things done. But, but the, the bottom line is I believe this year will be, and I believe the next two years will be more productive because I think, you know, speaker Parker's, you know, an outstanding leader, and I, I think uh, uh, President Pro Tem Rout is in the is in the perfect position for him. And we have a new leader over in the Senate, um, uh, Senator O'Laughlin, who I think is going to do a fantastic job as uh, Majority Floor Leader. So I'm excited, and then we have a new a new floor leader over in the House who's going to be who gets along with the um, with the Speaker very well, and I think that's important. And so you know. I'm I'm optimistic that we're going to have a pretty productive year. Well, I share your optimism, and I hope for the state of Missouri and for all of us that this is going to be a good session. That is the former Speaker Pro Temp of the Missouri House of Representatives, Mr. John Weeman. John, thanks for taking the time tonight to be on KMOX. Thanks, Mike. Have a good night. Appreciate it. John Weeman, always a good guy to talk to, and uh, I love the stuff that he's doing out at St. Charles Community College. Um, Looking forward to all the big things that's going to happen there. Well, if you haven't heard, our kids are getting bigger. What should we do about that? Well, they came out with some interesting guidelines that they think our kids should follow when they're overweight. We're going to talk with Dr. Michael Garan about that. Coming up next, it's At Your Service on KMOX. Your night's always a little better when you can R-O-C-K in the USA. Thanks very much. It's at your service on KMOX. My name is Mike Elam, sitting in the big chair tonight. Very excited to be here tonight. You know, at the first of the year, everybody makes the New Year's resolutions, right? So this is a year, New Year, New Me. Have you heard that expression before? Yeah, I hate it too. So anyway, but being as a guy who is currently sitting at the heaviest weight he has ever been, in his entire 56 years of life, it was time this year for me to say, okay, this is it. We're going to do something. So I'm excited. I've lost 10 pounds so far this year. Now, granted, it is only the 10th of January, so there's still room for me to fall off the bus. But we're on a good path. But our kids are probably the heaviest they've ever been in their life before. 
and the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with some interesting recommendations for childhood obesity, and it's gotten a lot of attention today. So we decided, hey, this is a big issue. We need to find out some things that we can do to help our kids stay healthy. So we're lucky enough tonight to welcome in Dr. Michael Garan, who is the professor of pediatrics at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles and the co-director of USC Diabetes and Obesity Research Center. Dr. Garan, that's a big one, but he's got a great book that is called Sugar Proof, The Hidden Dangers of Sugar That Are Putting Your Children's Health, Your Child's Health at Risk. Dr. Garan, welcome to At Your Service on KMOX. Hi, Mike. Good evening. Lovely to be here with you. We're excited to have you here. So I'm going to go out on a limb because of the name of the book, that sugar is a major problem. Right. Yeah, it's not the only problem, but the research points to it as a, as a common problem and one that's certainly modifiable. And when modified, can have impacts not just on body weight, but some of the comorbid conditions associated with body weight, such as diabetes, fatty liver disease. And it's very relevant to children. So when we're talking about the hidden dangers of sugar that are putting your child's health at risk, what are some of the recommendations that you're giving to your patients who may see their child's uh, obesity problem becoming a problem? Well, the, the new dietary guidelines have pretty clear recommendations on this for, for kids, and in particular for infants. In fact, the most recent dietary guidelines, which have been a little vague for adults, for infants, they say zero added sugars for infants between zero and two years of age. And by added sugars, we mean sugars that are added to food that are in present and processed foods. We're not talking about whole fruits or the sugars in milk. We're talking zero added sugars for infants and then uh, gradually increasing that to less than uh, 5 or 10% of total calories, which is not much for a young child. Uh, problem is that many, many foods and products that are common and popular among children are high in added sugars. That's the big problem is the disconnect between what's on the grocery shelves and what is recommended for health. What do you think about these recommendations that have come out about using more medication for children? Or in some cases, they were even talking about for teens getting uh, stomach stapled surgery uh, of things like that. Do you think that's that's in line of where we should go or do you think that's a little too extreme? Well, the the surgical, the new surgical recommendations are intended for children at the extreme end and who also have existing uh, conditions such as type 2 diabetes or hypertension. And it's not taken lightly. It's it's a recommendation, but it has to be evaluated by a comprehensive team and done in a comprehensive uh, center. And the results, just like for adults, the results in children are quite effective. And we're not talking for young children. We're talking 12 to 15 and above, and it's not just for weight loss, but for reversal of those conditions, which otherwise would be lifelong problems. So it is it is it's a serious treatment, but it's very successful treatment too. Um, so that's, that's kind of the nature of those recommendations. And then some of the new medications are also quite effective um, for treatment. And um, 
And again, we're not just treating excess body weight, but also treating things like type 2 diabetes, which are becoming more and more common in children as well. When you're seeing obesity rates continue to increase, what are the, the BMI numbers that if people say, you know, well, I'm a, I'm a 24, I'm a 28, I'm a 35, what's a BMI number that causes concern in your mind that says this is something you really need to take some action on? For an adult or for a child? For either. Yeah, so for, well, it's a little, it's a little more complicated and nuanced for children because uh, children are growing, so their, their weight for height, the BMI is weight for height. The weight for height in a child is constantly changing as a function of growth, so we use uh, normative percentiles. Uh, for example, there's different metrics for children. Uh, for adults, it's a BMI 30 and above is typically the definition um, or the classification of obesity. But I think we also need, I think that number is a little, can be misleading. I think it's important also to look at the metabolic state, which is what these new guidelines talk about. In other words, uh, you have to consider, is there diabetes or prediabetes or hypertension? Um, so it's a, it's a comprehensive picture that you have to look at, not not just your weight. Your weight is just a number on the scale. And the same is true for, for children. We have to look at their, their, their overall health status as well. I'm, uh, we're talking with Dr. Michael Garan, uh, who has a book called Sugar Proof, The Hidden Dangers of Sugar That Are Putting Your Child's Health at Risk. Doctor, I'm just curious, what led you to sugar? What was it that, that led you to say sugar was the problem in this? I know you've done a, a lot of research here. I'm just curious, what triggered that research that led you down that pathway? Yeah, it was a combination of different studies that we had done over the years, and not just that we had done, but other people had, had done. And uh, I think what we're seeing, on the one hand, the research that we were doing and others were doing was showing that that Sugar was a common denominator. It's not the only factor, but it's a common denominator linking uh, obesity to metabolic risk on the one hand. On the other hand, we're seeing huge increases in the, in, in the amount of sugar in our food supply, and not just more sugar, but different types of sugar uh, and different combinations of sugar. And so those two things kind of were our research and my analysis was showing that there was a big disconnect between sugar increasing in the food environment and the research showing that sugar was problematic. And well, it seemed to me that that's a pretty straightforward, uh, modifiable factor that families can, can do something about before they end up having to give their kids medication or take consider surgery. I, I don't want kids to get to that point. I want to address prevention at a very early stage and uh, reducing sugar can be a very effective strategy uh, for doing that. So I'm curious what worked for you. You said you lost 10 pounds. Um, Was reducing sugar a part of that strategy for you? Making better choices in foods that I'm eating, drinking a lot of water, actually. Um, I, I did my physical with my doctor at the end of last year, and my doctor passed along that said, try to drink 100 ounces of water a day. And I will tell you, that's a struggle. To drink 100 ounces of water is a lot. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting at, well, I'm, I'm now at uh, 264, but I started at 274 at the beginning of the year. 
and it's pretty much just come down because I've I've cut out uh, the snacks that you're talking about that may have been sugary. So instead of having some uh, some chips and dip when I sit down to snack, um, snacking on nuts, snacking on uh, cubes of cheese uh, for things like that, just trying to drink the water. But the the water is done a lot. And I will tell you, when you drink a lot of water in, it comes out, which means that you have to get a lot of steps in going back and forth <laughs> to the bathroom. The other thing that it's doing is that it's displacing uh, sugary beverages. And certainly among children, the same is true among adults. Sugary beverages, including not just soda, but also juice and energy drinks and things like that, those are very high in sugars. And so this is something that we need to take a serious look at uh, because typically kids and adults are consuming a lot of sweet drinks. And this accounts not just for a lot of calories, but a lot of sugar that, and it's that high concentrated uh, sugar in solution that is problematic uh, because it's very concentrated and it's not just problematic for weight gain, but also for metabolic abnormalities like diabetes and fatty liver. So is that the high fructose corn syrup that you're talking about? Well, yes, so that's partly the issue, high fructose corn syrup, which is the main uh, sugar in most sodas, but also apple juice, very uh, healthy-sounding beverage. Apple juice has even more fructose than high fructose corn syrup, but yet it's considered a healthy beverage for most kids. So take it, you know, eliminating things like apple juice or even just watering it down, uh, diluting it, can can uh, make make serious uh, dents in in your sugar load and can, and can, and help reduce weight and improve metabolic outcomes. So it's not just high fructose corn syrup that's the problem here. That is, Doctor. Sorry about that, Doctor. Go ahead and finish your thought. No, I'm just, just going to say all you know, all sugary beverages are problematic. You can find out more if you go on to sugarproofkids.com. You'll see Dr. Garan's book. You've got uh, recipes, tips, all kinds of things that you can learn on that website. Dr. Michael Garan, we appreciate you spending some time with us tonight at your service on KMOX. Thanks, Mike. Good luck with the rest of your show and the rest of your year. Best wishes for 2023. Same to you. Thank you again for taking the time. It's been an exciting hour so far. We've got a couple minutes left that we're going to wrap up on the other side of this break. And then next hour, we're going to talk about the broadband expansion across the United States. And we'll talk a little bit about workforce development as well. My name is Mike Elam. Sitting in tonight, you are listening to At Your Service on KMOX. The Cardinals on KMOX. Listening to At Your Service on KMOX Radio. My name is Mike Elam sitting in tonight. Uh, it's been an exciting hour. It's been good for me. Like I said, it's coming home. I I started my first radio career board hopping Cardinal baseball games and Arkansas Razorback football and basketball games. That's right. Northwest Arkansas. Welcome to it. Woo pig. Um sorry. I'm sitting here looking at Matt and it's like, are you a college guy? Are you a you a pro guy? So you said by college you you have to go. Yeah, my 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 teams are, are defaulted. Like you said, I, I I root for the from the Zoo Tigers as a default, and I root for the Kansas City Chiefs as a default because 
St. Louis, we're, uh, we're, a little, we're a little short in football. I will be rooting for the St. Louis Battlehawks coming up this year. I'm excited about the Battlehawks coming in. You yeah. know, we had stickers here all around the station earlier, so I took some home and uh, gave them to my son to put on his car if he wanted. But it's exciting to have the Battlehawks back. I think they were actually the highest attended of the XFL. That's right. So it's it's good to have them back. It's good to have that going on. My uh, my older son works for the Cardinals and doing uh, scoreboard stuff, but he also is working at the soccer stadium. So I'm excited about the new soccer season that's about ready to get kicked off, literally kicked off. <laughs> uh, so he's going to be working on that crew, but he's hoping to get in and do some Battlehawk stuff yeah. as well so we can get involved in that. There's a lot going on. There is a ton. You know, Sporting News years ago, and it was probably 20, 25 years ago, the Sporting News named St. Louis as America's number one sports city, that we had the best sports fans of anyone in the country. And I would put St. Louis sports fans up against anybody. And my proof to that is, if you are a retired player and you played for a St. Louis sports team, the odds are, when you retire, you want to have a home in St. Louis because the people in St. Louis treat you well. We remember our sports heroes. We love them, whether it was baseball or hockey. I mean, Bernie Federko is still a a super popular guy here, and Bernie hasn't played hockey in 20 years, you know? Uh, Ozzie Smith will be a legend forever. It's St. Louis, man. you got to love it. And I love being on KMOX tonight at your service. Coming up next hour, we're going to talk about the broadband expansion across the United States with Paul Cronin from I3 Broadband. You are listening to At Your Service. My name is Mike Elam. This is KMOX. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.